This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today is going to be a bit more of a serious and somber episode. You know, everything that's going on with COVID-19 and coronavirus, however you want to say it, um, it's affecting everyone in, in very different ways. I know a lot of people are feeling it personally, whether they're losing work or, or having reduced hours or things like that. And obviously I don't want to trivialize what this podcast completely is about, you know, movies and things like that, because who really cares at a time like this? But I think it's uh, a worthy time to sort of, you know, take a state of the world as far as this is concerned and talk about how things are being affected. So joining me today is Sammy Felchenfeld. Uh, so thank you for, for coming on, Sammy. Happy to be here, as always. <laughs> and we are doing our part of social distancing by having this conversation via Skype. Which is pretty much what we always do. It is, yes. I, I don't think we've ever actually <laughs> recorded in person, have we? Uh, I don't believe so. Oh, no, that's a lie. The video game movies when we talked about Super oh, Mario yes. Brothers. <laughs> that's um, but we're going to talk a bit about what exactly is happening. There's been a lot of news where it seems like every day, you know, this is what's happening. And then tomorrow's like, well, actually this is, it's really happening. And is this happening? Is this not happening? It seems like everything is so much in the air. It's kind of hard to keep track. Uh, so I think we're going to try to give a best rundown of everything that we know so far and just like I did in my last episode, which was the, the movie preview of 2020, as I was recording, I was like, hey, this will probably be out of date within a week. And as I was editing it, I did an editor's note input where I was like, hey, this is, show is already out of date and here's the new information I have. And it's now even more out of date and it's only been out for two weeks as of the time this episode drops. So all of this is basically as we know it so far, we're recording it on Monday, March 23rd. This is coming out on the 31st. So we're talking only about the information we know. And if there's something that severely changes between now and then, maybe I'll, I'll include a little bit of an editor's note again. But um, I think we'll start things off with movies being released early. This is wild. You have all these big, huge productions that, you know, just came out in the last couple of weeks or are supposed to come out right now, and it's all being pushed back, and it's crazy. I, I, I've never seen anything like this before. Have you, Sammy? No, and I think that there is no benchmark for kind of how the industry is handling this. On the one hand, it's sort of like, okay, there's, here's a movie that, uh, that, a, um, that would have had all this effort put into it being ready to go to release in cinemas and, and kind of have a big marketing push and everything. And then just the world is appended and this is what has to happen. So there's definitely a few, few, few interesting responses to this. Mm-hmm. And there, there seems to be like two different things that are happening. You've got movies that have already been out in theaters from, you know, just past Christmas time that are coming out to home release. I, you know, I still want to say like coming, coming home to video, you know, cause that hasn't been a thing in like 20 years. Um, you got stuff like both frozen two and the last star Wars movie, which were supposed to come out in the next little while. They're basically like, Nope, it's now on video now. Uh, which is, is interesting that they sped that up, which is, both of them being Disney movies, it isn't really a shock that they were able to kind of adjust and do that quickly. But then you also have movies that just came out. You have uh, The Invisible Man, which uh, which came out a couple weeks ago, is going to be available to, to rent right away. It's out there now. Uh, the Hunt, which was supposed to come out uh, last year, got pushed back due to controversies, and then is sort of they're not even releasing it again. They're just basically dumping it so that we can watch it. Emma already came out for a couple weeks and it's going to be available to rent online. And then I think the biggest one is onward. The new Pixar movie uh, is going to be available to purchase digitally, but it's going to be able to be streamed on Disney plus in a few weeks. So they're, they're really trying to recoup their money. I think the big thing is the, all these movies are either you're able to buy or rent 
but it's going to be like $20, which is kind of insane. But considering the amount of budgets that go into it, uh, I understand where they're coming from, but I, I don't think I'll be one that's going to spend $20 to watch any of these, these movies. Are, are, are you? Uh, I, to be contrary, and not these movies, but maybe some. And the reason I say that is it costs me $20 uh, or more if my husband and I both go to see a movie in theaters. Mm-hmm. So unless it's a film that I need to see on the big screen. So let's say things happen a certain way in Tenet, the next Christopher Nolan movie comes out at home. I'm not watching it at home. I'll wait till however long I have to watch it on the big screen. But for for some movies, I if it's something I would have seen anyway and, it, and the, the big screen doesn't really matter to me as much, I would be willing to pay it. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that is, uh, it's an interesting move and I'm curious to see how that lingers after um, all this is over. I'm noticing a bit of a trend. It seems to be either super low budget movies or more family friendly fare are the ones that look to be the the type of movies that are, are sort of I don't want to say dumped, but put out uh, to to rent or buy pretty early. Whereas I think most of the larger big budget spectacle type movies, whether it's something like Tenet, like you said. Um, are more likely to eventually either get pushed back to a later release day or something something completely different because I don't think they want to lose that theater-going experience. I think that's part of it, and they also don't want to lose the risk of... They don't want to risk the loss of the money. Like, Marvel, at the end of the day, is not going to release Black Widow on on streaming and Disney Plus before it's in theaters. They'll just put, push things back, and what it might end up being is a more condensed release schedule once uh, the floodgates to, to social distancing are opened. Um, but that's, but that's an interesting thing too, is because the, the universal approach is basically the example that, I, that I'm most aware of is Trolls World Tour. Set for April 10th, I don't think it was a cheap movie to make, not that it was a super expensive movie either, but their plans are if theaters are open, it's in theaters. And if it's, and if theaters are, even if they are open, it's also releasing on demand at home. And I think we are going to see a bit more of that because people who don't want to deal with the theater experience and are willing to pay this, this, this money for a 24 hour, 48 hour rental, they're going to do it. And I think that that's something that honestly should just exist for the people that want that. Yeah. And, and it's going to be really interesting because we already sort of are dancing around the subject a little bit as far as black widow and other movies like that go, there's going to be a whole bunch of movies that either have switched their release date or are just announcing it's TBD up in the air. And we'll figure out when the, the two big ones that seem to have new release dates are no time to die. The new James Bond movie, which I believe is now going to come out in November instead of in April. And then uh, F nine, the new fast and furious movie, which was scheduled to come out this spring. They've just straight up kicked it down the can a full 12 months to come out next spring and then you've got Which is especially interesting because the 10th movie was supposed to come out next spring so it's actually buying them time for the extra movie anyway um and maybe they'll they'll kind of do like a like they'll, they'll have them release like harry potter like six months apart mm. and do nine and ten in the same year potentially interesting yeah i didn't even, I didn't even think about that yeah th- there's definitely a, a precedent for doing movies like that there's the the harry potters that came out in the same year the the matrix sequels both came out in the same year the kill bill movies i believe they came out less than 12 months apart so there's definitely a precedent where you know you basically a part one and a part two, so to speak, come out in a relatively short period of time where you're you're not waiting a full year or more for them. Exactly, and I think so. We're talking about the ones that have been explicitly moved, and I think No Time to Die was the first one that was kind of like a, a bigger fanfare to move. But that's also because it's releasing in a few. It would have been releasing in a few weeks, and I think they just said. We don't want to put the money into marketing something that'll be canceled. But then you have pretty much all of Disney slate just removed, removed entirely. Um, they didn't even bother saying, Oh, Mulan's going to come out in August or in September. They basically just, I think once everything's over, Disney is just going to completely redo things. Or if the Chinese box office opens before the North American box office does in terms of the cinemas opening up again, they might, Honestly, they might be willing to just do a like a, a, a cinema release in in China and a streaming and then Disney Plus release in North America. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and I think that's something that is probably overlooked in the last few years, especially I would say, you know, up to about the last 10 years, the Chinese market for, for movies have become so big, where you have, you know, specific scenes or even edits being tailored for the Chinese market, where, because they only allow a certain amount of, of what they call foreign language films per year. So I I don't remember exactly. I'm pulling this number out of my ass right now, but it's like 10 to 12 or so that they allow that are non-Chinese cinema made. Um, And so something like Mulan is, you know, sort of hinges on how it does in China more so than it does in the rest of the world, especially considering the amount of, I don't want to say concessions that they've made, but they clearly tailor the plot more to appease the Chinese market compared to the way the animated version was received where, you know, the character of Mushu was considered disrespectful in Chinese culture. And so they completely removed it entirely from the remake, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think it's, that's, that's definitely a, a Disney play for the, for that market. But I think, What's really interesting here is, is that it's kind of the different approaches. So Universal is sort of like, we're going to keep our schedule the same and just find a way to make that money back. And they're sort of like, whatever, hands in the air. Disney, I think, is just on the, on the one hand, they're saying, here's Frozen 2 on, on Disney Plus three months early. And here's Star Wars um, on streaming early and onward, even like super, super, super early. Basically, we'll still practically still in theaters. And then on the other hand, saying, but you're not going to get anything else for a while. And I think, to be honest, I was saying this to someone else, is I think this is where we're going to see a lot of studios, Disney being one of them, pulling out films that they mothballed and just saying, here's a new film for you. (laughs) Here's new content. Um, Surprise. (laughs) And just getting it, kind of getting it out there as much as they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially because if they're able, you basically have a captive audience at this point because we're all stuck indoors. We're not supposed to be going outside. We can't go see movies anywhere else. Um it's interesting because in the past, studios would just try to quietly dump movies on VOD or whatever service they want with little to no promotion, things like that. Now they don't even need to worry because you look at modern films and their publicity budget is basically half of what an entire movie costs to make. You're basically doubling it for the publicity cost. They don't need to do that. They don't need to fly the stars all around the world and pay for advertising and a million commercials and all that sort of stuff. You put it on Disney Plus or Amazon or Hulu or Netflix or whatever else, we we don't have anything else better to watch. Like, you put out a brand new movie that's supposed to be theater quality, which, you know, at this point still has a bit of prestige to it. You're going to make your money. Yeah, and I think that that's a key point that you're saying about the, the, the like, the, there's no press tours, there's none of that stuff. I think that's a huge boon for the studios who do, who are sitting on content ready to go, um, that it's sort of just like, they're going to make back what they make back. I don't doubt for a second that people who are still kind of hemming and hawing on Disney+, Plus, the moment they saw Frozen 2 was going to be on there, they probably got their, their extra millions of subscribers that they've been losing. Mm-hmm. And I think putting Onward on there, and I think the more their contracts are able to get them content, I wouldn't be surprised if we if, if things last a while if we see Star Wars much sooner than waiting probably will probably be six months otherwise between the the digital release now and the um, and the the Disney Plus release so and then you also not to mention you have HBO Max coming in a few months you have Peacock coming in a few months and those are related to other studios so there's more potential to get those we might just see this year kind of looking like a okay well we're going to balance out. Is it worth it for us to just release this straight to streaming? Mm-hmm. Probably like the, the hundred million plus budgets, which are, you know, reserved more for the blockbusters will probably just get their release date kicked down the can. So that way can, they can still come out of theaters, but anything probably 50 million or less, which at this point is basically considered small budget. will probably get releases digitally. Yeah. And then it's just going to be, it's just going to be sort of whatever uh, – I think the way the industry is taking it, as far as I know, basically production of almost every show and movie that at least is known around the world is paused. And it's going to be that way for a short short to long time period of time. So it's sort of not the worst thing to hold out on some of these big releases. Like if it's going to take an extra um, six months to a year to get the next big Marvel movie, I think, I think they're done Eternals, but they've been working on two other ones. Well, now if they're pushing back – 
Black Widow, then they push all of them back. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's going to be this out of this backlog or this long. This is the thing I think is going to happen in the TV realm is that there's going to be like n- no seasons are starting in September, October this year at this point. Seasons are starting probably in January. We're going to have this weird four month period on TV where there's no new television that isn't something that they had they had in their back pocket or a quickly made reality show or something that they were able to push. Uh, to make it onto TV, whereas movies do, don't need to deal with that in the same way. It's interesting. It actually reminds me a little bit of uh, the writer's strike that happened a little over a decade ago as far as TV is concerned. Exactly. Yeah, and that's where we saw the birth of some of the worst reality shows that are still on TV because of that. Um, movies don't really have the same thing, but there are definitely some movies out there that I feel like have been fully made and just put on a shelf, and then now there's going to be a chance for them to see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it will be good for some things, really bad for other things. Um, now, we're talking about theaters being closed, and, and that's sort of been a real uh, evolving issue where it seemed like a week and a half ago, you had the theater chains talking about how they're you know, having extra cleaning crews go in there. They're only selling 50% capacity tickets. Uh, at TIFF, they were closing their two smallest theater rooms and only having shows in their biggest auditoriums uh, and all that sort of stuff. And then it was like, okay, I don't really know anyone that wants to sit in a room where you know there's going to be several hundred people throughout a day coming and going and touching things and being messy and gross because it's not like we can pretend that we're not you know messy and gross in movie theaters when we're eating popcorn and dropping things and what what have you and leaving our coats everywhere uh and then very quickly uh both cineplex and, and tiff uh here in the southern ontario announced that they are shuttering their doors for the time being yeah, I, I'm not surprised. I think that there's there's been a lot of moments of like, it really does change from day to day. And I think it's one of those things is sort of everyone looks at the, the way things are right now, uh, or the way things are reported to be right now. Like we know that there is a delay between when someone is tested and when somebody might be positive or negative. And that's the case around the world. It's not like it's, it's something unique here. Um, so people are working with whatever information they have, which is perfectly normal. Um, so then you're getting emails from these companies, be they restaurants, be they um, cinemas, basically saying everything they're doing. And it just so happens a few days later. And I mean, now mo- most of, of Canada is now under some kind of strict ruling around these kinds, kinds of spaces anyway. Um, I know that that's not the case in other countries, and I think that other countries approach things a little bit differently, and I think people do take it upon themselves to decide what they want to do. Um, but that really does bring up what, how do cinemas survive this? Especially if, you know, people are, you know, we're waiting to pull the trigger on getting something like Disney Plus or Amazon Prime or, or different things like that where they're already clearly losing a lot of customers to the Netflix model. If people get super comfortable with that and and realize, you know, hey, every Disney movie is eventually coming here anyways, and I don't need to go and see them in the theater, then why do I need to go back? And I mean, that that poses the question of like, are we looking at a future of Disney Plus Plus where you can, Disney Plus users can pay extra to get a movie the day it comes out. I think it's just, the box office is still a really important thing. It still makes a, a ton of money, um, especially not just in North America anymore. So I think movie theater going is still an aspect, but I think um, at the same token, the theater movie theater experience, I've already told you, if, if the right movie was $20 on release day, I might stay home to watch it. Um, like I'm, I'm already thrilled that Sonic the Hedgehog, which I didn't get a chance to see in theaters for various reasons, its digital release was pushed up to next week. So I get to see it. Basically, the day this comes out, it'll be on digital. So I get to see it sooner. And yes, I'm paying a rental fee instead of waiting for it to come to streaming somewhere. But that is still appealing to me. Um, and I think that is appealing to many people. For all we know, this physical and social distancing is going to create uh, introverts out of the best of us. It's definitely going to change the way the sort of economy of movies works. And and so you say for the right movie, you'd be willing to pay that price. And I agree, I would too. The problem is, for that price, it better be a movie I'm very excited to see. Because for the most part, like, I'm going to the theaters because it's something really high up on my list. I'm not just going to throw $20 away to see the next Pixar movie. As much as I love Pixar movies, I can wait for it to 
be more readily accessible for a regular subscription streaming service price. Something like Tenet or uh, No Time to Die, where I was definitely planning on going to see that in theaters. I don't know if I want to. Like, I pay for that only because I've got a you know a decent sized TV, but I don't have a good sound system, a, a, a good enough sound system to justify that. Or like a movie, I think both you and I can can agree on of being very excited for is Dune. Like, is that do you want to watch that in your in your home? I don't know what your sound system is like, but is that something you think you'd be able to recreate the the cinema experience for something that is so hotly anticipated? No, and, and Dune is definitely not something I would watch at home, but it's, it's sort of just, this is the thing too, is that it's, if it's $20 to put a movie in front of your, your kids and you're, you're saving a ton of money by not going to theater, not buying popcorn, not paying for individual tickets for your kids and whatever, that's where the benefit lies. And I think that's where there's a potential for both. And it's going to create a, it's going to, I think it's going to shift the industry into, into basically making movies that make sense in a cinema and movies that don't have to be seen in that in that environment so dune and tenet and no time to die and uh, these other bigger movies but then think of roma where you and i saw it in theaters and it was incredible in theaters um and then i saw it again at home and it was a different experience but that was released on netflix and that sort of and that was an uh, an oscar buzzworthy movie that that won a few awards too so i think that there is going to be continually room for both and i think uh at the same token some cinemas aren't going to survive this just like not, there are going to be businesses that straight up don't survive this. And so it'll be interesting the impact that that takes. How many screens does North America lose potentially from this? And what impact does that make on the amount of money that a movie like um, the the next Star Wars in a few years or Avatar it, sometime in the indeterminate future? Um, the types of movies that are designed to make a billion dollars, like what, what impact will it make on those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a battle that... Netflix and Amazon have been trying to force the industry to reckon with for the last couple of years. And it seems like it's, it's really going to come to a head this year. Absolutely. And when you, and especially coming after a year like last year that had the biggest Avengers movie that had the end of the star Wars Skywalker saga, like all of those big pieces. And then this year's an interesting year with a bunch of interesting films, many of which may not even be released this year and just get pushed based on, any number of reasons like we don't even know yet what the quote-unquote big oscar worthy movies of next year will be yet um and so it's i'm curious if there's going to be moviegoers that are saying well i mean i guess i could see that at home it's not that much more if it, if it was me and one other person going to a movie i could save money by watching it at home mm-hmm. and it's interesting because uh in my 2020 movie preview, there's a couple movies that I, I talked about where they look like they might be real front runners for that. Um, the new David Fincher movie, Mank, which is going to be, I believe, coming out on Amazon. And then the new Spike Lee movie, The Five Bloods, is coming out on Netflix. And so it's going to be more and more where those service providers are definitely going to be in the running. All you, all you have to do is look to this past year and see that Netflix had about four or five movies that they could have pushed hard for oscars and ended up really throwing their weight behind the irishman and marriage story and managed to sort of luck out with the two popes being able to catch up in that as well but they could have had about two or three other movies that were in the conversation for best picture and other big awards so it's definitely going to be interesting uh to see if maybe they they make some sort of deals you know you talked about maybe the changing the face of the the landscape of cinemas i know People have been sort of suggesting for a while that maybe Netflix starts its own movie chain where they buy small art house cinemas and are able to do their qualifying runs that way. Because you, to be eligible for the Oscars, you still need to show in New York and L.A. for a week as of right now. Um, maybe they start buying some cinema chains or things like that with small art houses and, and showcase their movies, them and Amazon and Hulu or Disney plus, whoever they want to start releasing their movies, you know, you can still go and see it in a small 50 to a hundred person seat auditorium. And then after, you know, being out for two, three weeks or whatever, then it's uh, available to stream widely by everyone. Well, and I mean, Netflix already did this. They already own one theater in New York in the in that they bought in the fall in the Paris theater and I think it'll be it'll be interesting if that continues the risk so like the risk is that we we are now we end up 
what is what would it be like 75 years ago 60 years ago when all the the filmmaker filmmaking companies also owned their own Mm -hmm. movie houses i'm sure disney would love nothing more than to only show disney films in disney cinemas that would show other films that they would gladly pay to show other films in but if you want to see the next marvel movie you're going to a Disney cinema. You're not going to a Cinemark or a Cineplex or whatever. Um, and I know that the, the laws still exist that broke up the, the film studios that actually keep that from happening. But I'm sure they'll find workarounds. And that might be what makes, like if there's, it, let's say there's uh, 3,000 cinemas that all go bankrupt because of this. And Disney and Universal and another film studio come in and say, we're going to buy these together. But these are now the only ones that show our films. Um, and that's just, and the, and because of the nature of the industry, that's what happens. That's a very deep speculation, highly unlikely, but there is a chance of the Netflix and Amazon and the ones that aren't directly related to the big filmmaking companies to start buying them up as well. Yeah, you know, you're not wrong. You're, you're talking specifically about the, the antitrust laws that went into effect, I believe in the, the thirties or so Fox was the, the biggest, uh, I believe, uh, proprietor of their own cinemas because um, I'm, I'm blanking on on what his first name was, but Mr. Fox himself uh, was a movie theater owner magnet who, when he merged for forces with, uh, I believe it was Samuel Goldwyn, uh, who was a distributor, they were he was able to specifically distribute his own movies. And we've seen in recent years Disney sort of putting their thumbs on the scales of hey, you want to show the next Avengers movie or, or whatever else it is, you have to have X amount of screenings per day. You must give us 50% of all profits uh, for the first two weeks. You can't show anything else at this time, blah, blah, blah. And then you have all these small town theaters where they're like, we've got one screen. We can't show the same thing for only a month without nothing else. People aren't going to come and see us. And there was a bit of pushback to it. But uh, if, you know, suddenly it's, Cinemark presents a Disney movie theater or whatever have you be, maybe that uh, sort of changes the the landscape again. And that also increases the likelihood of, oh, well, I can go see, um, I can go see Eternals at the Cinemark Disney theater, or I can watch it on Disney plus for an extra $20 this weekend Mm -hmm. um, for a month on top of a monthly service I'm already paying for. And I think that's sort of the, the, I mean, yeah, to this, but also we're headed towards, um, if it's not a huge recession, it's still going to be the impact of millions of people being laid off, even temporarily, and all those things that will play into it. So what money will people be willing to spend on this form of entertainment after all is said and done, too? Mm-hmm. And and speaking of layoffs, Samplex did announce that they were uh, laying off uh, a vast majority of their uh, staff, who they said that it's only going to be a temporary layoff, and they do expect to bring them back. Cineplex also owns the rec room and, and a number of other companies as well, entertainment companies. So I feel, I feel terrible for them and, and hopefully this isn't something that's going to last too long and, and they're able to get their jobs back. Um, this is a, that's a, a completely different conversation though, where I, I personally don't really feel qualified being able to really talk about the effects of, of people not being able to, to work though. True. We don't want to go down that road of completely unqualified talking about something other than film. <laughs> yeah. So let me continue my unqualified takes on film. Um, there's also been word about of a lot of productions, both in the film and TV world, that are either shutting down or going on hiatus. Uh, chief among them are uh, talk shows where you know we've already I've already seen on YouTube um, Jimmy Fallon late night at home where he's basically interviewing people from his home over Skype, things like that. But basically every single late night talk show, daytime talk show has been put on hiatus right now where they don't know what they're going to do. They're probably going to still upload some clips to their YouTube channels and, and what have you, but they're definitely being affected. Shows like Saturday night live are going on a hiatus right now. And, um, and then of course, actual scripted TV shows where they need to film them way in advance. They're definitely going on hiatus right now. You know, I'm I'm looking at an article right now where uh, all the Chicago TV shows, Law & Order, SVU have been halted, Grey's Anatomy, um, some HBO stuff uh, like The Righteous Gemstones, the new Snowpiercer TV show, uh, the Bachelorette, um, like it just goes on and on. The more stuff that's 
you know, basically everything that's going on right now is, is shut down and basically everything that's probably was supposed to start filming in probably the next month or two, they're just going to straight up not start shooting at all. So that brings back sort of to your earlier point where it's going to be a bit of a, a barren landscape for a little while where we're going to be watching reruns or maybe unaired things or what have you. Where like, this isn't even like the writer's strike where, you know, they were able to produce already finished products. Um, sure, it really, you know, was the the beginning of the end for shows like Heroes and the downfall of Lost and things like that. But uh, at least if they want to make stuff, they had scripts available to them that they could shoot them relatively quickly and, and move on. Whereas this, it doesn't look like they can do anything. Yeah, people can still write, but it's not like they're going to film anything. Well, uh, first, I need to say that the that in my mind, the most important casualty of the writer's strike was Pushing Daisies, which was my favorite TV show at that time. Um, the other thing I'm going to say is that this sort of brings up the idea, like I said, reality shows became uh, kind of had a second wind at that time. Um, it brings up the idea of what sort of fills in the gap in, in the film world. I think YouTube sort of is going to, YouTube's already hugely popular. I think it's going to continue being popular. I think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of content people can easily create, especially people that, like you said, talk show hosts and whatnot. It makes me wonder if certain things like ultra low budget kind of homemade films, not that they would get big, big releases, but people have a bit more fun kind of doing their own thing. Um, and also the question of animated films, animated films do require obviously quite a bit of in-person and group work, but much of the animation could in theory be done in remote settings. So um, there is the potential for maybe an up, a slight uptick in animated uh, work, and especially in work made by small groups of people. Um, I think the film Primer was made for $4,000 with like seven people, and that was it. Not saying that seven people should get together because everyone still needs to be social distancing, but there is, a, there is the potential. Like We might be seeing epistolary-type movies in a year or two, maybe a year from now, where it's sort of made entirely of people taking videos with selfie cams on their phones. And that's a whole movie and somebody finds it. I'm sure Steven Soderbergh would find a way to make a movie out of that. Um, so there, I think it brings up the idea that there's going to be a little bit of innovation, but it is an industry that simply cannot function fully in a, in a, in a logical way it, with, without the ability to have people close together. Yeah, I think that's a great idea of the animation. Maybe we're about to enter a new renaissance of it. You know, certain styles of, of stop motion and claymation, that sort of style definitely will not be able to done because you need a large group of people to be able to handle that. But um, there have definitely been, you know, very popular low budget animated styles of movie and tv shows that are hugely successful because sometimes it really matters more on the writing and the uh vocal performances than it does than the actual animation style people are willing to forgive and and handle watching you know a flat 2d animated show like using this sort of as an example south park usually will not have their show submitted to air until like an hour before because they just do it all themselves at home where two people do all the voices most of the animation and then they just you know send it in to air that night basically and so we can see other things where you know it's very crudely constructed animation style but has a very high quality script behind it and I think that also brings up the the point of like if you if you want to get Chris Pratt to be the voice of one of your characters in your movie, and and this is something being structured some ways, I'm sure he has the means to record that easily in his home. Mm-hmm. Um, or if he doesn't, it's very easy to send by Amazon. Here's your microphone setup. Send us all the raw files, and we'll do the rest. Like that's, I think that there is some potential there. I don't think we're going to see a big boom in it by any chance. I mean, it takes it still takes two to three years to make Pixar quality animation, but and by like hundreds of people. But I do think that there is some, there is some um, potential there. It's interesting because the video game industry is unlike the, the film industry is mostly still operating, but now it has the added challenge of everyone working from home off of servers built in offices somewhere. So they're finding a way to do it because they can. Um, And it's sort of that that's, that's its own form of entertainment that's sort of trying to, trying to keep itself going as well. Yeah, and that's why I sort of think maybe more lower budget 
animation because I think with, with animation, the biggest thing is rendering time. You, you know, you read about on the trivia of IMDb of different Pixar and Disney movies, and they talk about how many thousands of hours it takes to render a single frame, single scene, single movie sort of thing. And it takes uh, a ridiculously long period of time. And that's where most of the work sort of comes in. You know, they can, for the most part, very quickly animate it. It's just making it into the high-quality, high-resolution files that will need to be shown in theaters where, where the real time and effort sort of takes place behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's just, it, it, it's sort of just a, what's the new, what's, what's going to be the new way of doing things? There's people innovating across, just across industries and across ways of life, and I think that, that we're going we're gonna to see some fruits of that and we're going to see the industry just have to make changes. Yeah. Um, and then I think an interesting thing that we can kind of talk about is uh, film festivals, where that's definitely being affected too. The film festivals, for, for people that maybe don't follow as closely, is where award campaigns typically start. You know, you have – it basically is split – 50-50, I know it's not exactly, but you you have movies that either come to a festival with either a distributor in place or they come to festivals with the sole purpose of being sold to a distributor. So you'll have the bigger movies that will sort of do the circuit and will play um, Sundance and Cannes and Toronto Film Festival and Tribeca or whatever, just so that way it can start getting groundswell support where they already know it has a December 12th release date where it's going to be shown in 2000 cinemas wide sort of thing. But then the other side of it is you've got these low to mid budget films, sometimes new and emerging directors. Sometimes it's people that are doing something a little bit more experimental and don't quite have the funding in place yet. Um, who are trying to sell their movies just so that way they can actually have a life because you know, they, they go, they basically be like, Hey, I spent $20 million on this movie. If I don't get a distribution deal, basically everyone that put money into this loses out completely. And they're sort of relegated to the video on demand release where if you turn to channel 600 on your TV, you can rent some movie for two ninety nine on your, your Bell or Rogers box or whatever have you be. It's not like it gets some, some big deal with any of the, the companies, whether it's Netflix or Amazon or whatnot. It's usually a pretty bad deal if it doesn't get distribution. And we're seeing, you know, it started out, with South by Southwest, which this episode was supposed to be about South by Southwest, um, not happening. They completely canceled the entire festival. And then uh, it's only going to move forward from here about other festivals, mostly small independent ones where those are the real emerging directors are going to be noticed. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I believe uh, Sundance is going to be the next big major one. I can't remember if it's been canceled officially, not or not yet, and con as well, uh, how that's going to play out. And then if this goes on for a long time, TIFF, which comes around the beginning of September, what's going to happen to that? Is that going to be canceled? Is it going to be pushed back? Are these festivals going to be digital or not? Like, I have no idea at this point. I think it's fair to say that the the, the immediate ones, like up until the summer, are definitely canceled. Um, I think if we're in a position where sort of TIFF and into the kind of the big fall time ones sort of leading into Oscar season are not doable. I think they will, they have the time now to transition to digital, which I, I think is possible. Like you can have a tip where you can, you can sell and actually sell tickets, 500 uh, accesses to this, um, to a live screening of a film. So it's not just a, it won't be like a TIFF video on demand service. It's, it's legitimately at 8 PM. You have like you threw this app on your computer or the app on your TV at 8 p.m. the movie starts. I mean, they need they would need the time now to make that sort of thing work, and maybe they don't have the the, the well the the ability to do that, to do that. Or they do the other approach and say you pay um, you pay this flat. Everyone pays this flat rate, and for for 10 days, all of these films are available on the streaming service, and then they're gone. Um, and maybe that's the alternative, and then people can see more film, and they have to charge more for it overall. But it still gives an opportunity for people to come together from the comfort of their own home and safety of their own home to, to be able to participate. I think that some festivals just flat out won't be willing to do that. And we'll just say, see you next year. And I think that that's the, that's the approach that some and many might take. Um, but I mean, if things are the way they are now, 
these measures on social distancing may be, may be lifted slightly over time, but people will still be reluctant to really get out there. Um, so it's, it's going to be on the festivals themselves to figure out how they want to approach that. I can see we won't have a normal festival season again until next year. Mm-hmm. Now, like, I think there's, there's definitely a bit of, um, I don't know how, the best way to say it. there's, there's a bit of, um, question at hand. I know when South by Southwest was, was first canceled, it was bandied about that they can do an all digital festival to replace it. And a lot of artists were kind of up in arms about it due to different, I don't want to say moral, but, but along those lines, issues with the way that will move forward. Um, so many of these like super small films really rely on word of mouth. And so if TIFF or whatever uh, just says here you can buy five credits to watch five movies or you can stream anything you want, things like that. There's going to be the big names that are going to, they're going to be able to get the viewers. But then you'll look back on all the different other movies that has like a, a quiet opening. And then, you know, within 24 hours, it is the talk of the festival because all the critics are completely buzzing about it. And then for the, the next two or three screenings that the film has, it's impossible to get tickets. Now, if it's all flooded where, you know, you can watch whatever you want. Like I look back to TIFF of last year where the hot movies were Jojo Rabbit and Joker and Judy and a couple other ones that were going to be readily available in any cinema within a few weeks of, of the festival ending anyways. They're they didn't make or break based on their performance at TIFF, but there's definitely smaller, smaller movies that if they don't have that word of mouth and buzz behind them, they're just going to, you know, sink to the bottom of the ocean. I, yeah, I think that there's, everyone is going to find a way to adapt. I think that's, that's a possibility um, that if, if that's the sort of model that it goes to, I think that there's still critics who say, great, now I can watch 150 movies. So I'm going to still <laughs> give my feedback. Um, so I think that we can't kind of completely count things out. The difference is, like we've been saying, is that maybe by the time the fall season comes in, films aren't ready. Editors can't sit alone in a dark room at their home and finish these movies because they still need a director and the other folks around with them, um, which means these films won't be able to be ready. There's a lot of these, these um, the ancillary film industry um, folks who can't work from home even if their their job might be might be more conducive to it, so um, I think that that's the I think that's sort of the where things are at, and I think it's a wait and see. Mm-hmm. I think along those lines, we can we can kind of wrap things up about talking about what the the future sort of looks like. We're able to. Uh, assess based on the news that's coming out now and sort of what we can kind of predict for the next two to four months, maybe how things are going to be. Because even if things do, say, if the the curve of this uh, infection is flattened a little bit more, things are going to start opening up and people are going to be a little uh, tentative to return to their everyday normal lives in some areas of the world. But uh, how does this really affect you know other things we're talking about tiff in september how is that going to work which has been basically the the biggest breeding ground for future best picture nominees or winners in the past 15 to 20 years where you know if you win the people's choice award you're all but guaranteed a best picture nomination and suddenly are very likely to be the best picture winner as well um what's happening with the oscars like are they going right now i i I should have brought up the eligibility rules in front of me, but basically it works where um, you be, you have until close to the end of the calendar year to screen a week in both in either New York or L.A., and then from there you have to be released to a certain amount of cinemas first and then have a small period of time before you can release digitally to be eligible, among other things. And uh, how is that all going to work out? Like, are is suddenly our, our best picture crop going to be Birds of Prey, uh, The Invisible Man, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Emma? Um, like, is that what our, our best picture is going to be? Or are they going to start being like, hey, all you Netflix and Amazon movies that don't have a movie theater to screen in, you are now eligible. And, you know, the Universal or Disney Fox movies that were planning on being released that they're just going to dump on their streaming services, are they going to be eligible this year? Are they going to push back the eligibility period to, you know, February or March of next year and have a bit of a later Oscar ceremony if they have one at all? 
in order to incorporate, you know, a bit of a staggered release date because James Bond, No Time to Die was the first one that was like, we're staking out this November date. Is anyone going to want to reschedule their move to be coming out, you know, within two to four weeks before or after it? Because everyone's going to be like, hey, if I'm going to one movie this season, I'm going to go see the James Bond movie sort of thing. I think what we might actually see is a... I think we're going to just see a season that does, that is unlike other seasons. Maybe what it turns out being um, is that the Oscars aren't in February 2021. Maybe they're in April. And it's just things just sort of delay. It all depends on sort of how humanity reacts to the way measures are lifted. And it also depends on how countries operate. One of the biggest things that I think is becoming more and more evident, especially as some countries kind of are already on the other side of their curve, um, is that travel is going to be the last thing that opens up. So we could have countries where you can freely be outside of your home as, as much as you want because the virus isn't, uh, isn't spreading locally anymore, but people can't enter your country. And what does that mean for how, how films are promoted and how award ceremonies happen, how conferences run? Like there may be industries impacted by the fact that the, the, the local economy can pick back up, but the, the externally driven or tourism driven economy can't operate. So I, I anticipate that the most likely thing might just be we either just don't have an Oscars next year or sort of like an extended season where we're accounting for basically, I'd say from like May to November this year might just be a complete uh, blackout of films. Or like you said, it's the opposite. We just have the Oscars have new rules and the Oscars 2021 ballot is the funniest thing of all time. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely gonna be interesting to see where they go with that as someone who's huge into following that along as everyone is probably evident by looking at the the release feed where from september till early february it's nothing but oscar talk here uh i'm curious to see what they do they haven't announced anything it sort of seems that everything that's more than a month away from happening no one just wants to say anything because they don't want to have to go back because you look at all the companies that are having to basically reissue a new press release every second day because what they thought was the appropriate measure to take was not strong enough or because the way rules are changing forced on governments whether it's closing borders or or what have you um or forced closures, you're having to basically change the way you were thinking because you thought you were being proactive by being like, hey, we're only selling 50% capacity of our tickets and not all theaters are being done and we're doing extra cleanings. Well, suddenly that's not good enough. Um, So anything more than it looks like a month plus away, maybe two months away, I don't think anyone wants to say anything definitive yet. Absolutely. And I think that it's fair not to. I think some decisions make sense in that, for example, um, like uh, some major conferences, film festivals, events have been canceled. I think that just makes sense anyway. But then on the other side of on the other side of things, it's just safe to not say, yes, we know we're going to release this film or whatever. Like we we don't know what the other side, the, the majority of the world doesn't know what the other side of, of the, the peak of, a, of the pandemic is in their country, what that's going to look like yet, or how long it's going to take to ease restrictions and whatnot. Um, some countries haven't even, I mean, this might change between recording this and this being released. Some countries haven't even created strict measures yet or haven't made their measures stricter um, around physical distancing. So I think it's, it's a question mark. I think that you and I might be recording an episode another time this year that says by the time this is released, maybe there's 18 movies all vying for the same release date that weekend. So <laughs> um, it'll be an interesting approach. But I do think that the industry will bounce back um, purely from a from the fact that there's all these movies they already plan to release, but now they can release later. So it's going to kind of nudge everything. Yeah, maybe maybe sometime in the fall we can do some sort of postmortem of what we learned and and how things were really affected because otherwise I, I'd be doing an episode every week about what's changing. Um, all that said, I feel like for the next, you know, if I am to put some sort of positive spin on this, uh, probably the next two to six months, we are looking at probably, uh, the most home entertainment opportunities that we've ever had, because 
anything that'd be coming out in that time frame is already done. They're just waiting to release or putting the final touches on, on things. Uh, that's going to be available to either rent at the prices that they have, or they're going to dump them and make deals with the different streaming sites, what have you, what have you. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to sort of see where all that lands, but we're, we're probably in line for being able to see things in a way that we've never been able to see them and what will likely be a once in a lifetime opportunity. Definitely. I'm actually, I'm very much curious to see what it's going to look like having, um, just the, the way kind of home releases play, we might be seeing the beginning of the decline of the, the physical home media, just because this is a time when people may not be able to, or may not want to order in Blu-rays. Um, and it just becomes, people are buying digital and streaming and that just becomes the new norm. Um, so we're we're going to have to see it. A, a lot of it depends on sort of how infrastructure supports it too. We don't know even what the Chinese film industry is going to look like once their cinema is open, because um, they they haven't been making films for the last three years, three months either. So it's going to be an interesting, definitely an interesting change. I agree. Well, Sammy, thank you so much for joining me today and being able to share your your insight and knowledge of what we've been able to kind of grapple with at this time i know it's so rapidly changing and like i said at the beginning by the time this comes out we might be completely out of date already but uh i appreciate you coming on my pleasure as always make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get it we're on you know spotify apple Podcasts, google play um we you can follow the show on all social media at contrazoom pod that's on instagram Twitter and on Facebook uh, and uh, feel free to send me an email if you have any sort of insight about uh, what you think is going to happen or, or how you're going to be consuming me over this next little bit uh, send an email contrazoompod at gmail.com thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and Stephanie Pryor for the logo design and thank you to Aesthetic Magazine for presenting the show uh, as we go on it's going to be interesting. I've got some things planned, but I don't know how that's all going to come together. I'm hoping to still be able to produce regular shows. Uh, I will keep everyone posted on that. Uh, so please keep listening if we keep playing this out. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.